So God meets them at the base of this mountain called Mount Sinai. He meets with Moses. He gathers his people. Why does God give this law to his people? Why does God give this law to his people? Let me illustrate it in this, in this way. It's extremely important for us to understand why God gives us, why God gives his people these laws. And it's extremely important that we do not understand God to be a far off dictator who's dropping law on his people, who's saying, if you obey, I will love you. If you disobey, you will burn in hell forever. That's what many of our minds rush to when we think of the Ten Commandments. God set these Ten Commandments for us. If we obey them, he will love us. If we disobey them, we will be punished. But it's important for us to understand, like I've mentioned, that God, as you've seen the context laid out, God has already set his people free. God has already loved his people. God has adopted these as his children. And now he says, I have a few guidelines and a few parameters that you need to follow. Let me illustrate it to you in this way. I was four years old, and uh, I was driving. Uh, I wasn't driving. Well, <laughs> I kind of went ahead of myself. I was four years old. My mom was driving. I'm in the back seat, and I ask my mom, Mom, can I drive the car? And she says, sure, come on up. I have no idea why my mom let me do this. And by the way, don't tell my dad. This is just between us. He doesn't know, so keep it in this room. My mom, for whatever reason, says, sure. I get out of the back seat. I climb onto the front seat. I'm in her lap. And I grab the steering wheel. And, I'm, and we're in the neighborhood. We're not, we're not on the highway. We're not merging onto a main road. And so I grab the steering wheel. And I'm reaching down with my foot to try to find the gas. And I find it. And I just accelerate. And I just launch us about 15 yards in the air, and then we come to a crashing halt, almost hitting my neighbor's mailbox off. It would have been a disaster. And then soon thereafter, my mom saw, thought, well, it's probably a good idea to get him a car seat. And so I don't know why my mom let me drive, but she did. It's a terrible rule. Don't let your four-year-old child drive your car. But for whatever reason, she did. We almost crashed, we almost, it almost led to our destruction. I probably almost killed myself and my mom. And then she said, let me get you a car seat. Now, I could have been that four-year-old kid trapped in that car seat saying, look at the restrictions and limitations my burdensome and unkind mother has put on me. Look at the, uh, look at the limitations. She's not letting me uh, the freedom to express myself and choose and be free. I want to drive the car. Now, a good, loving mother knows I cannot let my four-year-old have this much freedom and drive the car. I need to put a seatbelt on him. And God, in a sense, is saying, listen, I know what's best for you. If I leave you on your own, if I leave you to yourself with your wicked, sinful hearts, because the Bible says that our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all else, God says, if I leave my children on their own, if I leave them and if I let them drive the car, they are not going to be safe. It's only going to lead to their disaster. It's only going to lead to their destruction. I need to put a seatbelt on. And, and lovingly, as a, as a loving Heavenly Father, He says, this seatbelt is going to save you. This seatbelt is going to give you guidelines and parameters in which to live by and which to function by. I heard probably an even better illustration say this way, that a father was, was playing with his son in the front yard. And, the, and you know, you guys know those uh, little motorized cars, those little motorized Jeeps, you just press on the gas and it takes you maybe like two miles per hour. So his, his dad is playing in the front yard with his son, and he's in that motorized Jeep. 
and the, the son starts to book it, and he starts to go to the end of the driveway, and then his dad catches up to him. He stands in front, and he says, hey, where are you going? And he says, oh, dad, I'm just going up the road to get donuts. He says, uh, no, uh, son, you can't go up to the road and get donuts driving this little Jeep. You're going to hurt yourself. And so soon thereafter, his father built a fence in the backyard. And he sat his son down, and he says, listen, I love you. And I can't let you drive off into the road. You're going to hurt yourself. So what I've done is I've built this fence, and you are free to enjoy the whole yard within the parameters, within the fence. And every board in that fence is one of God's laws protecting him and keeping his child safe. And so as we come to these Ten Commandments, before just launching straight into morality, before just launching straight into these codes, we have to understand that God is a loving Heavenly Father who's sitting his children, the nation of Israel, he's sitting them down on the couch, he's kissing them on the forehead, he's telling them how much he loves them, he says, I've set you free, you're, you're adopted, you're in my family, but before we go on any further, I need to lay down some guidelines and some rules because they're going to be for your benefit and they're going to help you flourish in this life. And so that's what God does with us. He presents these Ten Commandments within the context of you're already saved, you are set free, you are no longer in bondage. But now it's time to obey me because as your father who knows best, leaving you on your own is only going to lead to your destruction. And so these commandments will help you to flourish and to be blessed in this life. So that's within the context of where uh, God goes with this. Now, it's important that we understand that because laws, we can, we can see these as very restrictful, very restrictive, very unhelpful very boring, no fun, very limiting, but we have to understand the, the heart of the lawgiver before we understand the heart of the law. So I only have maybe five more minutes, but it's the same thing with the, the Pharisees. In the New Testament, when Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, Jesus realizes these Pharisees, they love the law. They're focused and fixed on the law, but they don't love the Lord. They're not focused and fixed on the Lord. They don't have their hearts set on the Lord. They're too consumed with following the law. And Jesus wants to reverse that mindset. And he says, fall in love with the lawgiver. Fall in love with your father. And then you can better understand the heart of the law. Jesus did that with the Pharisees. And so in looking at these Ten Commandments, it's important to understand. The voice of a loving Heavenly Father is sitting his children down saying, these Ten Commandments are not restrictive, but they actually set you free. Because if I leave you on your own, you're gonna, it's going to lead to destruction. But if, I, if you live within the parameters and the guidelines I'm setting for you, you will be blessed and you will flourish. So, starting with the purpose of the law. Why did God give us this law? The three divisions of the law, like I mentioned. The three purposes of the law. Number one, to explain what sin is. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I wouldn't know what sin was except if it weren't for the law. Paul says, I wouldn't have known what coveting was if the law didn't say, do not covet. That's what Paul says in the Old Testament in, in, in the book of Romans. So the law helps us to explain what sin is. If it weren't for the law, we wouldn't even know that we were breaking the law, just like speed limits on the road. If the speed limit wasn't there saying 35 miles per hour, if that speed limit wasn't there, you'd be driving and, and you could be going 50 and you wouldn't even know that you're breaking the law because the speed limit wasn't there to tell you. And so the law is, that, is like that in the same way that it's explaining what sin is. It's explaining God's parameters. 
So the law explains what sin is. It tells us what we're doing wrong. We're saying, yeah, I can't live up to that. Yeah, I disobeyed that. Yeah, I, I didn't do that. So it's explaining what the definition of sin is. But bef because before we realize that we even need a savior, we have to understand that we're sinners. Number two, it exposes the sin in us. It exposes the sin in us. The law, I, I have a great, I heard a great illustration. I love to use this. The law is simil very similar to a mirror. The law is just like a mirror. So the law, when you go to the law, when you go to the mirror, you can see that you're dirty. After you've been playing outside and after you've been cutting the grass, after you've been mowing the lawn, you can see that you're dirty. But how do you see that you're dirty? You have to look in a mirror. And so you go to the mirror and you see that you're dirty. You see that you need to take a shower. It exposes your filth. It exposes your dirt. And you see your need to be cleansed. But what you don't do is you don't go to the mirror and wipe your face against the glass to be clean. That's ridiculous. You go and you take a shower. And so the law is like a mirror in the sense that the law exposes our filth. And the law, when I look at the law, it exposes my sin. It exposes my desperation to be cleansed. But surely I don't run to the mirror to be cleansed. I run to the showering grace of God's goodness and his mercy and say, God, I can't live up to this law. I, I've fallen short, Romans 3.23. I've fallen short of your standard. I've fallen short of your law. And so I can't run to the law. I can't run to the mirror to be cleansed. The law only exposes my need to be cleansed. I run to Jesus. I run to God's grace. I run to his mercy. I run to faith in him to be washed. And then thirdly, the law expresses our need for a savior. After we understand what sin is, after we understand I can't live up to the law, I can't live by this, by this perfected standard, God says, well, you can't live up to the standard. The law wasn't made to, for you to ultimately fulfill. The law was made for Jesus to ultimately fulfill. The law points to Jesus because when he came, he lived perfectly, he was without sin, and he died for us on our behalf. So number one, it explains what sin is. I wouldn't know what sin was unless I had the law to look at. Number two, it exposes the sin in us. I wouldn't even know that I needed, that I was dirty if I didn't see the law. And then number three, I wouldn't even know that I needed a savior if the law hadn't first expressed my need for it. I can't be perfect. So Jesus was, that's why I looked to him. That's the purpose of the law. That's why God gives the law to us as his children. So, I'm hoping just to get through one or two of these, the Ten Commandments. Number one, let me hit back to number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the first and most important commandment that God gives. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, God first has to set the record straight. Listen, I know you've known about me. I know, I know that you've heard about Father Abraham but you've been living in a very polytheistic nation of Egypt. Polytheistic is just a fancy, fancy theological word for many gods, multiple gods. So the Israelites, while they know that they have a, a father in heaven, while they know that God is their true father, they've been living in this pagan society for 400 years where even the Pharaoh thought he was God. He even thought he was the sun god, Ra. And so the, the Israelites have been living for 400 years in a nation that worships and praises multiple gods, multiple deities. God brings his children out of slavery. He sets them free as a loving heavenly father. These are some things you need to know for you to be able to flourish. Number one, all that other God stuff, totally false. I am the only God. There is no other God before me. You shall have no other gods. I'm it. Everything else in your life, 
fake. Everything else in your life is only false. I'm the only God. And false gods were all throughout ancient Israel. They had, the, they had the god named Baal and Asherah from the Canaanites. They had the god of Dagon, who was the god of the Philistines. Molech, uh, the god of the Ammonites. Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. Mammon, the god of the Greeks. So ancient Israel is very familiar with all this polytheistic stuff. And God sets them apart and he says, as my kids, rule number one, there's only one God. There's only one Father, and that's me. And it's very important that God uh, leads us off with, listen, you have to first learn how to re relate to me because the first few laws are all vertical. They're all uh, a relationship with God. How can I have a relationship with God? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? Then the other six laws are all how do I relate to other people? We first have to get this right before we get to the horizontal. We first have to get our relationship and our hearts with God straight before we can understand how am I supposed to now love other people. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. What's really the difference between number one and number two? Well, number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Literally, back in those days, they would make a graven, they would carve an image, and that would, would be what was supposed to represent God. But what Jesus tells us in the Gospels and what God tells us in Genesis chapter 2 is that there is no image of God other than us. Genesis chapter 2, I will make man in my own image. In the, in the Gospels, Jesus says, you are the image bearers of God. There is no supposed to be any image or idol of God other than we are the images of God. God has put his thumbprint on us. We are those image bearers of God. We are supposed to reflect God and we are supposed to be God's mirror. When people see us, they see the heart of a loving heavenly father. So there's, no supposed to, there's not supposed to be any idols. There's not supposed to be any graven images. Now, idols come in many forms. It's easy to pick apart the ancient idols and say, well, yeah, that's a, that's a carved statue. Who would bow down to that? That can't do anything for us. But today, idols come in many forms. And idolatry really, really uh, practically is, is what I call addiction. Because someone can say, I'm, yeah, I'm addicted, I'm addicted to alcohol. Well, yeah, you are, but you're also a slave to the bottle. Being an addict is really being a slave to something. I'm addicted to self-image. Yeah, but you're a slave to yourself. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to that. You enslave yourself to whatever you find is most important in your life. If you see self-image as most important, if you fall into some kind of addiction, you are saying that is what's most important in my life. That is where I spend most of my time, most of my devotion, and it comes in the form of a bottle. It comes in the form of a computer. It comes in the form many different forms. That is idolatry, putting something above God where God says, I don't want to just be added to your life. I want to be the only thing in your life. I want to be number one. And so that's what idolatry is. It's the sense of enslaving yourself to something other than God. And so I wish I could go through with, these, uh, with you more in, in depth, but we're already out of time. My main takeaway, guys, is this. I want us, as Pastor Tyler goes through the different Ten Commandments, and he'll probably backtrack. He'll probably pick up some things I even missed. What I want us uh, to do is I think it's important before... Pastor Tyler goes into the next few weeks into the Ten Commandments for us to see these commandments as not a burdensome, burdensome set of laws that God is, is just dropping on us. It is a loving Heavenly Father who gathers His children and says, in order to live this life where you are protected and you are safe and you will be blessed and you will flourish, I have some parameters with 
which with you need to live by, which with, with which you need to live in. Just like that fence, that fence analogy is perfect. I want to enjoy the freedom of the whole yard, but I know that freedom is not jumping the fence. Freedom is enjoying the whole yard. God makes this fence and he builds this fence and he says, enjoy it, live in it. This is for your safety, your protection, and there is freedom here. But he knows that if we jump over that fence and we try to go onto the road on our own in that little motored, motored Jeep, it's only going to lead to our suffering, to our destruction. So look at these Ten Commandments as Pastor Tyler goes with them through you as in the framework and in the context of God loves me. He knows what's best for me. He's created me. He's already adopted me. He's already saved me. He's already set me free from sin. But living within these parameters and obeying him now is out of a response of my love for God and not in order to gain and to attain the love of God. He died for us even while we were yet sinners. He's already loved you. He's already set you free. And now out of a response to what God's done for me, I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to live my life for him. I know that's a lot, and I'm, I'm excited to, maybe I'll be able to pop in on, on the rest of these uh, teachings that Pastor Tyler has for you in the Ten Commandments, because this is some, some good stuff. But I love being here with you this morning, and uh, hopefully I'll be back in maybe another month or so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you're doing. We love your law, Lord. We delight in your law, and we thank you that you are a loving Heavenly Father who cares for us and wants what's best for us. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you will help us to obey you, that you will help us to live for you, that you will be with us and that you will give your Holy Spirit to us, that you will help us to follow you and to, to, to do this out of a response to all that you have already done for us, Lord. We thank you for your love. I, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you for them. I pray that you will go before them and that you will go in their schools and be with them, Lord. Thank you that you never leave us, that we're never alone. We love you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.